0: One, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is a partnership with AllAboutJazz.com, the world's most visited jazz website. This is uh, a special edition of the Jazz Session, and it is not the typical kind of biographical conversation with a musician, but it is instead a conversation about a topic that is extremely important, I think, to uh, all of the musicians who've been on this show in the past and those who will be. In the future, and I'm talking about a campaign called Justice for Jazz Artists. Uh, and I'm just going to give all the disclaimers right here at the top. Um, I, the Justice for Jazz Artists campaign uh, is run by the American Federation of Musicians, uh, Local 802 out of New York City. Um, I have done, uh, you know, been at protests with Local 802. I've walked picket lines with that local. I've been a member of the American Federation of Musicians. I was a union organizer for five years. I have absolutely no pretense of objectivity where this topic is concerned. I'm incredibly biased uh, in favor of organized labor and in favor of all the things we're going to discuss in this interview. And I'd like to welcome now uh, Todd Weeks uh, from the AFM, the Jazz and Education representative. And uh, Todd, thanks for being here to talk about this important story.
1: Thanks for having me, Jason.
0: Will you talk a little bit about the Justice for Jazz Artists campaign, uh, when it started, what it's achieved so far, which has actually been quite substantial?
1: Yeah, actually the Justice for Jazz Artists campaign began, um, this phase of it began over 10 years ago. Uh, The uh, Local 802 Jazz Advisory Committee was formed um, by some musicians. Those musicians were uh, Jimmy Owens, uh, Benny Powell, Bob Cranshaw, uh, and Slide uh, uh, Hampton among them. Um, also, Hank Jones was part of that. And one of the first things that they did was they organized the new school for jazz and contemporary music, and they were able to get uh, a union contract with uh, the new school for seventy-four part-time faculty members there, that included negotiated wages. Uh, you know, a, a grievance procedure. If anyone ever got into, a, you know, a contentious situation on the job, and of course, benefits, uh, pension, and health. So that began in, uh, I think, nineteen ninety seven, And Todd was organized.
0: Uh, let me just ask you: Was that their purpose initially for coming together,
1: the Jazz Advisory Committee? That's right. Yeah, I think they were just trying to abdicate uh, for a group that had not had a voice uh, within the union. Um, Really, uh, I mean, there was a time, I guess, in the 1940s uh, during the, uh, you know, big band craze when African-American musicians in particular uh, were able to lobby within uh, Local 802 for some power. Um, And I I believe there were some black officers going back uh, even earlier than that. But there's been a distinct lack of advocacy for jazz and for vernacular music in particular. So this was in response to a long-time long negligence on the part of uh, the American Federation of Musicians.
0: So following uh, the victory at the new school and the negotiation uh, and ratification of that contract, what what came next?
1: Well, over the years since then, they've been uh, advocating, they've tried to establish union agreements with uh, clubs, you know, and uh, for live, live engagements here in New York City. And that has proved... Exceedingly difficult. Uh, in the words of one musician, a club owner told him, uh, despite the fact that the band voted on uh, a contract, they wanted, they had fifty-one percent of the band agreed that they wanted to be union, make the gig a union job. Uh, the uh, club owner said, "Well, uh, you know, I'd love to negotiate with the union, but I can't negotiate because I'm in Chapter eleven. <laughs> and uh, the musician said, "I, I didn't know you were in Chapter Eleven. How long have you, you know, how long have you been in bankruptcy?" He said, since I opened. So it's that kind of attitude uh, and that type of savvy... Uh, on the part of club owners, that has made it very difficult to organize. Now, Todd, uh, I'm sorry, if, yeah. if
0: you don't mind me just asking another question. Um, the, my understanding, uh, back when I was a club musician, um, and I, this was primarily when I was a club musician down south, um, yeah. and was having a, an issue with a club that I played in and contacted a, the local AFM office, um, I was told at that time that actually uh, there had been a case in the 80s that had made the law such that you... Uh, unless the club owner voluntarily agrees to recognize you, that you don't really have any leverage with them because the band leader is seen as your employer. Is that the case?
1: uh, Yes, you're referring to a decision uh, that came down uh, in the early 1980s. I'm trying to remember the name of the decision. Uh, It'll come to me in a bit. But yes, uh, in in the case of that, uh, in that situation, the band leader was proved to be the employer. Um, however, that is not the case in New York State. In New York State, under a 1987 statute, musicians are actually designated as employees. So uh, that's a different—it's a different ball of wax here in New York.
0: So, in other words, uh, it is there is legal uh, legal footing, if you will, for musicians to negotiate contracts with the club owners who aren't who are seen as their employers
1: yeah there's absolute legal footing to do it um but you know we also recognize uh, the ethos here uh which is a uh, long standing uh, it's a it's a dark economy uh it's a cash business uh most clubs well i shouldn't say most but, but some clubs uh, may have kept you know several sets of books over the years uh musicians also um unfortunately have accepted uh Less than you know, standard wages, substandard wages over the years, and you know, frankly, a busboy makes more money than than a jazz musician. And uh, it's not that I don't think busboys should make more money; they should. But somebody who's worked, uh, gone to school, and studied, and spent years developing their craft, their technique, and their sound, uh, it strikes me that they should be paid, uh, you know, at the professional level, the level that classical musicians are paid at, the level that that uh, Broadway musicians enjoy.
0: Todd, would you, is it fair to say that uh, the average jazz concert goer has no idea that the average jazz musician, uh, you know, is getting might be getting paid little to nothing, has no pension, no retirement, no health care? I mean, it seems, you know, I think most people's uh, conception of musicians, you know, kind of writ large, I mean, if you think about pop musicians and things, is that they're all millionaires. And certainly, uh, with if there are any exceptions, there are very few of them. In the jazz world, my guess is that that's not the case.
1: Yeah, of course, and it's it's actually a function of, of an even deeper uh, misunderstanding about uh, musicians and entertainers in general. I think that uh, most people view mm, those of us who choose careers in the arts or in arts advocacy as uh, people who are doing it, you know, out of love. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to argue that uh, musicians don't come to to what they do out of love, but uh, musicians are workers just like everybody else. Uh, the great example is in uh, 1926 1927 on 42nd Street when all of the silent film houses were changing over to sound, and all of the orchestras that had been providing the background music for those silent films were put out of work and were demonstrating on 42nd Street, and they were literally pelted uh, with tomatoes uh, by the people who were attending the films they didn't understand what those people had to complain about. Love, so it's a long-standing issue. It's been yeah, going on for a long time.
0: Love don't pay the rent, unfortunately. So uh,
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: So uh, bring us a little closer to today, if you will. Um, I, and uh, can you talk about... Uh, I I think a couple things have happened that I think we could call landmark. Um, uh, One happened in the 1960s, uh, both related to taxes. One happened in the 1960s uh, related to taxes on admission to uh, music and theater performances. And then in 2007, Mm -hmm. there was another tax move. Can you talk about those two things and and how they've set us Um, up for today?
1: Certainly. Um, The 1960s... uh, it was actually an arbitration decision between the entertainment unions and the producers' league on Broadway, the theater league, if you will. Um, it's called the Turkus, Turkish, as in T-U-R-K-U-S. Burton Turkus was the arbitrator. It's called the Turkus decision. And uh, Burton Turkus was able to negotiate um, a tax rebate for Broadway theaters uh, with the understanding uh, that that uh, money uh, would be then redirected into all the pension funds of the nine entertainment unions on Broadway. So the, uh, the people who do hair, makeup, sets, uh, lights, costumes, etc., and the actors and the musicians would all be enjoying essentially a profit-sharing venture off the door. And uh, that is true to this day. Um, Broadway musicians enjoy a very healthy pension contribution as a result of that arbitration award. Uh, in 2007, uh, actually, the local 802 Jazz Advisory Committee, Jimmy Owens, Hank Jones, uh, Jamil Nasser, Benny Powell, Slide Hampton, and others um, lobbied for a similar type of uh, tax rebate. And they were successful in getting the sales tax. On admission to local venues, small venues, I think they're really called cabarets, and, you know, even in, it's an archaic legislation, a rooftop garden, cabarets, uh, but it applies to jazz clubs, the sales tax on admission has been forgiven by New York State. It was signed into law under Pataki in 2007. And the intention of the lobbyists, and, in fact, the intention of several clubs at the time who supported this legislation, was that those forgiven tax dollars would be redirected into the musician's pension fund for the musicians that played in the clubs. However, after the law came through, the clubs reneged on their initial promise, and the law does not compel them to put that money into the pension fund. It merely says that they no longer have to pay the money to the state. It's fairly complex, but in the end, really, it's a tax rebate the money is set aside for musicians' pensions, and it hasn't made its way there.
0: So, Todd, is uh, is there any language in the law that says, even if it doesn't compel the club owners to take this action, that says this is the intention of this legislation?
1: No, but it's patently it should be patently obvious to anybody who researches it that the law never would have been changed uh without the lobbying efforts of local 802 and the, the justice uh for jazz artist coalition and the jazz advisory board uh and in fact several major clubs who participated in it um you know they would claim today that uh the employer employee relationship uh is in the way by putting money into the pension fund it makes them the employer which of course by law they are uh, but we've been in touch with the Department of Labor on this. Uh, we have, uh, you know, assurances from the Department of Labor that business can continue as usual as long as they get their statutory benefits, and uh, we are working it out now. There is a way for statutory benefits like uh, unemployment insurance, uh, workers' comp, disability, to come out of this have very healthy now, 8.8 percent has gone up. From eight point three seven five percent and a pension contribution, an eleven percent pension contribution on average for a musician that uh, that appears in a club, and that's irrespective of union affiliation. In other words, the union musician doesn't have to be in the union to get the pension contribution; they just have to have a social security number.
0: I mean, it all it all sounds pretty incredible, especially when it's contrasted against what people have now, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is nothing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, some musicians are fortunate enough to have uh, diversified. uh, Maybe they got some pension contributions, uh, you know, in, in the now bygone era when there were many large corporate record labels, who had signatory agreements with the union. Oh, sure, yeah. And
0: I don't mean they have nothing. I mean, they could teach at universities, and they have benefits there, too. I mean, sure, there's, there's sure. a million ways that they could have something from some other means.
1: But no, they're getting nothing for their work in the club.
0: From playing in a club, the... the uh, and I, what's important for people to understand here, and this is what uh, I mean, I've negotiated many contracts, and and as I mentioned, been a, a union organizer f- um, for several years, and um, mm-hmm. it, it's I think it's often difficult for people to to grasp the fact that it's not just uh, what you're going to put in your pocket tonight; it's what you're going to have after you, for example, can no longer play in the clubs. Uh, I mean, you yeah, know, that Hank Jones is an exception. I mean, not not every jazz musician keeps playing till he's ninety. Um, no. And, You know those people need to be protected, and they need to get something back for everything they've given us. And it's not just because it's out of the goodness of our hearts, but because it is, in fact, I mean, the right thing to do.
1: Absolutely, there's an ethical and moral reason to do it. Um, You know, if jazz has been designated a a cultural treasure by Congress, uh, and yet uh, we know that you know jazz does not enjoy the same type of uh, funding that, say, you know, the classical world enjoys. Or even Broadway. I mean, uh, we would like to see this movement—the beginning of, I guess, one can call it a movement um, now—a small movement, but but an aggressive small movement. We would like to see it as the beginning of a larger movement where we're educating people about the cultural importance of jazz, the need to preserve uh, not only the music but the people who make it, and uh, you know, this goes to these pension contributions would go to. Everybody, younger musicians as well. So these are the people also who can benefit. You know, people say, oh, well, we're just trying to help out the old guys. Well, the old guys, many of them may have missed their chance at a pension contribution, although one can continue to get contributions, you know, as long as one wants to uh, and try and get vested in the plan. But what about the people who are in their 30s and 40s now? Or they're, you know, they can actually build a very significant pension, and the pension is very healthy. So it's, it's possible to really change, uh, change the way people do business and really change people's consciousness about jazz uh, in a way that could be very promising for the future.
0: And you know I uh I love all of that stuff and I f- would love to live in a world where people acted on the basis of the kind of high ideals that you've just posited. But there's also a f- there's a fiscal reason to do this too. Because you exactly. you're, you're going to pay for this stuff one way or the other. Either these musicians get paid as a pension and benefits as part of the actual labor they do or you know, uh, John and Jane Q taxpayer are going to pay for these folks when they are, you know, indigent or when they need emergency medical care that you know only government-sponsored care can provide, or when it's on our tax rolls, or when they're looking for unemployment. I mean, either we can do, either we can fairly compensate people for their labor, or we're going to pay them anyway. So even if you don't really particularly care about, you know, protecting the value of these national treasures and et cetera, et cetera, I mean, there's a there's a fiscally responsible reason to make sure that people don't fall back on the public dole, uh, because that is exactly what's going to happen if folks don't have a pension, they don't have health care, they don't have any way uh, to protect themselves or to provide for themselves with dignity. They will just, we will pay for it anyway.
1: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think uh, the other piece of the puzzle is that, uh, you know, I mean, with if you look at the other side of it, not being, you know, not that the moral or the ethical reasons to do it aren't first and foremost, but uh, jazz is also an economic engine in New York City. Um, there are thousands of people who pour into New York every night to go hear jazz. There are dozens and dozens of clubs, small clubs, but clubs where people can hear music. I mean, it's it's a vital part of the entertainment world in New York City. And I don't think there's ever been a study done, an economic study on jazz per se. Uh, I know there have been uh, music uh, studies, economic studies. But those are usually nightlife studies that deal with uh, taverns, discotheques, that would include live music. But, you know, we really need to recognize that jazz is important to uh, the economic life of our city. There's no other city like New York. There's no other city that has this much live jazz anywhere in the world. So let's wise up and uh, take care of these folks and and help the community at large uh, by recognizing the importance of it.
0: So Todd, uh, thousands of people will hear this conversation and uh, some number of them will live in New York and there's a physical action those people can take and for everyone there is an online action they can take. Can you describe those two uh, avenues?
1: Yeah, it's very simple. Um, We have a website it's called justiceforjazzartists.org and you can go to that website and sign a petition. Uh, electronically, uh, just you know, add your name to the list. Uh, we started uh, working on this petition in May of 2009. Uh, we had about 150 people, most of them jazz musicians, uh, you know, prominent jazz artists. Now we uh, we just crossed the 2,000 mark uh, just this week, and there's been a flood of interest and activity. Um, So a lot of people have been signing the petition. There's also a YouTube video that you can go and view. If you go to YouTube and just uh, type in in the search bar, Justice for Jazz Artists, or uh, the acronym J4JA, that would be J, the numeral 4JA, Uh, you'll see a great video uh, with people like Randy Weston, Benny Powell, um, Junior Mance, uh, talking about this campaign. And finally... uh, people really need to come to a rally that we're having on the 29th of september at two p.m. in greenwich village uh... at judson memorial church uh... which is on west fourth street between thompson and sullivan streets west fourth is known as washington square south there and that's a great labor church It's so a long history with the labor movement and we're having a jazz parade after our rally where we're going to go to uh... the clubs Uh, a couple of clubs in the village and peacefully present our petition to get their attention and hopefully get the attention of the media. And, uh, you know, this is uh, the beginning of something really, really great, and people need to be brave because it takes a lot of bravery on the part of the musicians to come out and support this. A lot of them are afraid that, uh, you know, they're going to lose their gigs, and this is why we need to come and show solidarity for these folks and let them know that we care about them and... And we can be there shoulder to shoulder with them to make sure that this goes through.
0: Well, if you're listening to this right now, you're almost certainly online, and uh, you can go to justiceforjazzartists.org, and uh, you'll find a link uh, in the show notes at thejazzsession.com to that site, justiceforjazzartists.org, and sign the petition. It takes just a couple of seconds. Uh, you can put a comment if you want, uh, but you don't have to. You could just add your add your name. Uh, re- literally, just takes a few seconds. Uh, and then uh, again on the uh, 29th, which is next Tuesday at 2 p.m., Judson Memorial Church, 55 Washington Square South. Uh, there'll be a, a Rally and uh, a jazz parade uh, For the delivery of the petitions To the clubs and all of that information again Is on justiceforjazzartists.org
1: My yeah, guests And we're oh, encouraging page, people to bring their, their instruments as well I would hope so
0: parade. That's right. yeah. You can't have a jazz parade if you don't bring your instruments So uh, Yeah I mean
1: we're going to start out With a New Orleans thing but you know It could it could get wild I mean we've got a lot of free <laughs> jazz artists out there and, and we're open so it'll be very interesting To see what happens
0: <laughs> Very cool uh my guest is Todd Weeks from the American Federation of Musicians Local 802. Uh Todd, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. It's it's incredibly important and uh, I know everybody who listens to this show is uh, you know really vitally connected to the music uh on an emotional level and I hope that that emotion will drive them to uh to take some action in support of the people who make this music.
1: Yeah, and it's very rewarding when you do so. Uh, to to find yourself in a room with, with these same folks who that you would, you know you might go to the clubs and see it, this could be people also that you know that you're playing alongside of whatever your relationship is to the music as a fan or as a player um, the notion that we can band together around a simple issue which is a benefit uh, and you know a benefit contribution I mean the idea that musicians should have a benefit contribution is not so far fetched. We can band around that issue, achieve it, and then we can start, you know, looking for other things to do to keep this music alive. It's such an important part of who we are, this music, and it needs to be heard and it needs to be celebrated and preserved. And the people who make it are the ones that we need to focus on now.
0: Well, Todd, I thank you uh, very much for all your work and uh, for your time tonight, and best of luck to you with the uh, Justice for Jazz Artists campaign.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: That's Todd Weeks from uh, AFM Local 802 and the Justice for Jazz Artists campaign. Again, that's at justiceforjazzartists.org. You've been listening to a special edition of the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This show is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at RespectSextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thank you so much for being here and listening. And again, I hope you'll support the Justice for Jazz Artists campaign and also support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.